Yesterday, we began to discuss the ideas of potential and actualizing that potential. Male, infinite potential and outflow, and female, limiting that potential, giving it boundaries, limitations, and borders in order to make that potential real. What I'd like to discuss today is the concept of chesed and din, and how it also relates to potential and actualizing potential, and how it also relates to male and female. But there's an interesting third element, which is teferis. Memaral, Ramchal, Ritzadak, and many other Bali Machshava constantly talk about the ideas of chesed, din, and teferis. So what is the concepts of chesed, din, and teferis? And it's important to note before I go on that din can also be the concept of gvura, and teferis can also be rachamim. So before we move on, we want to ask a couple other important questions. The second question is why is Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov always compared to these three concepts of chesed, din, and teferis? How do they relate to each other? The third question is the midrash we also mentioned yesterday. We didn't have time to finish the show yesterday, so this is going to be a development of what we started and began yesterday. The third question is a famous midrash that Rashi quotes in Parak Aleph of Barashas, that originally HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to create the world with Midas HaDin. But all of Machshav, it arose in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mind to create the world with Midas HaDin. But then HaKadosh Baruch Hu reconsidered, because he realized that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world with Midas HaDin, then the world couldn't exist. Midas HaDin would be that you get exactly what you deserve the moment you deserve it. So if you do something good, you get the, the reward. But if you do something bad, you get punished on the spot. It would be like if you violate a beer, you get struck with a lightning bolt right there on the spot. So you realize that if he's going to give us free will, that people are going to mess up, and the world can't exist with Midas HaDin. So he gave us Midas HaRachamim. He created the world with Midas HaRachamim. And the Ramchal and Mesil Shashari mentions, very, very interestingly, that he didn't replace Midas HaDin with Midas HaRachamim. He added and mixed Midas HaRachamim into Midas HaDin. So we have to understand very well what it means to build a world with Adin, what it means to build a world with Rachamim, and how you can mix Rachamim within if it seems that perhaps these might actually be opposites. How does that actually make sense? The third question which we want to ask is what's the relationship between Mitzvah Asay and Mitzvah Los Asay? Which one is the Iker, which one's the Tuffle? Which one's the, the most important, the most fundamental, and which one is, let's say, secondary? And there's a very interesting halacha that asay docha los asay. That when you're doing one act that is both an asay and a los asay, that the asay overrules, overrides the los asay. So for example, if you're wearing tzitzis, but it also has shotness or also has kilayim, asay docha los asay. The mitzvah tzitzis overrules. Or if you're doing bris milah, and there's tzara'as on the orla, on the mila itself, normally there's an isra to cut off tzara'as, to cut off a piece of your skin that has tzara'as on it. But if the piece of tzara'as is the orla, so you're doing the mitzvah of mila, then asay dochalosase. Now the question is, why is the principle of asay dochalosase any different than the principle of mitzvah habab avera? 
There's a concept called mitzvah baba avera, which is if you do something, you do an avera with an object, you can't do a mitzvah with that object. So if I steal a lulav, I can't perform the mitzvah of lulav with that stolen lulav. It becomes an asa lulav. Or if I steal an animal, I can't be mocked of that animal, I can't be mocked of that animal, I can't bring that animal as a carbon, because that animal now becomes uh, an animal which was used for an avera, and it becomes asr. So why is it? Why does it make any difference if when you're doing it at the same time, when the single act is both a mitzvah and an avera, now it becomes mutter? Why is that different than a mitzvah above avera? So those are the basic questions. Number one, how do we understand the concept of chesed din and teferis? Number two, why is, and also has that relate to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? And why is din the ideal? Why did HaKadosh Baruch originally want to create the world from Yitzhak din? And what does it mean that he added Rachavim? And the second question is, how do we understand mitzvah asay and los asay? And what's, this, what, what's the difference between asay docha los asay and mitzvah habba Those are the basic questions which we want to develop today. <clears throat> So the most important principle which we're going to develop now is the relationship between chesed, din, and teferis. The Maharal explains very beautifully that all processes contain these three ideas. And he explains as follows. Chesed represents, like we explained yesterday, that initial potential, that outflow, something which is endless, boundless. Um, obviously, the simple understanding of chesed is kindness, but we're going to develop a much deeper explanation and show how it relates to kindness as well. So chesed represents this initial stage, this root, this outflow, this uh, infinite potential. Din, which literally means judgment, mida keneged mida is din. Mida keneged mida is when you get exactly what you deserved. Din is exactitude. It's limiting that initial chesed into something finite, something limited, something that has boundaries, something constricted, but something real. So chesed would once again represent this infinite potential, this outflow, something boundless, and din would be giving that chesed limitation, giving that chesed boundaries, restrictions. Now, we explained yesterday that in order to give potential something, in order to make potential real, you have to give it boundaries. So this, so din is not the antithesis of chesed, it's actually enabling chesed to become real. So for example, rain. Rain is neither, neither good nor bad. If you have too much rain, let's say just chesed, so just outflow, infinite, infinite outflow of rain. What happens is you get a flood, you get a mobble, destruction. But let's say you have complete din, so there's no rain at all, then you have a drought, then people suffer, people die, it's also terrible. And that's the third principle, which is Tiferes. Tiferes is the perfect balance between these opposites. Chesed would be extreme outflow, infinite potential, something boundless, something overwhelming. Din would be constriction, limitation, giving boundaries. Tiferes would be the perfect balance between those two. Not too much outflow, but not too much constriction and limitation. So it would be the perfect amount of rain. You don't get a flood, but you also don't get a drought. You get just enough rain that you are the perfect amount of rain that you need. In the right place also. So let's give a couple other examples. So parenting. Parenting, on the one hand, you could do chesed, just extreme outflow. You can say yes to your child for everything, but then you'll spoil your child. And when you spoil your child, you're going to destroy him. 
But you can say no all the time to your child, which would be din, that would be limitation, constriction, boundaries. Always say no. And that would also be destructive. You're going to torture your child, you're going to ruin him, you're going to make him suffer. Why would you say no? The perfect balance, that harmony, that's that's Deferis. Deferis is knowing when to say no, when to say yes. It's that perfect balance between the two. And it's also knowing how to say no. Because even the saying no itself is chesed. For example, it's Friday afternoon, and the, you're a mother, and you're cooking for Shabbos, and your five-year-old kid comes over to you and starts pulling on your skirt, because like every five-year-old, he has something really important to tell you. And the mother doesn't have time. She's really busy cooking. So, she says, I don't have time. But there's two ways to say, I don't have time. One is, quiet, I'm busy, you're annoying me. That's an inappropriate way of saying no, because that's a, a selfish, and a, a, more than selfish, it's giving the, the child a sense that he's not important. And it's telling the child no for the wrong reasons. But the, the right way of saying no in that situation is, no, I don't have time because you need to know that it's not appropriate when I'm very busy to bother me. Later on, we'll talk. But you can say no for the child, which is chesed, you're trying to help the child, help the child learn. Or you can say no for yourself, which is selfish. That's not the right way to say no. So Tiferes would be that perfect balance of knowing how to say no and when to say no. But there's also... a, a a very, very, very important example of this principle, which is teaching. When you're a teacher, if you give too much information to the student, you're going to destroy him. He can't handle too much. Or if you teach at too high of a level, you're also going to destroy him because his mind can't understand the depth in which you're teaching. But if you teach, let's say, that would be chesed, too much. But let's say you didn't. Let's say you don't teach enough or you teach at too low a level, you're also going to destroy the student because the student is not going to grow because you're not giving him what he needs to learn. The perfect balance is knowing how much and the perfect level upon which to teach. And you want to challenge the student, but you don't want to challenge him too much. You want to bring him out of his comfort zone, make him learn something that he's not already, something that he doesn't already know, but you also don't want to ruin him. You don't want to give him too much or too little. That's why the Gemara says beautifully in Psachim, Daf, Kofiyo, Bezo, and Aleph, that more than the calf wants to drink, the cow wants to nurse. So the simple understanding of this Gemara is that the cow, the mother cow, has a lot of milk and it's painful. She wants to get rid of it, so she just wants to give the calf her milk. But the deeper idea, this idea quoted by Rasimcha Wasserman, Revelchana Wasserman's son, is that the mother wants to nurse so that she can give the child. She just wants to nurture and nourish the child. The great teacher is the one that teaches exactly what the student needs to learn. The immature teacher, the selfish teacher, is the one who just teaches to show how much he knows, just to show off. Teaches way too much, irrelevant ideas, sometimes way too complex for the student to understand, and it's just so that the student says, wow, this guy's brilliant. But is the student learning? Is the teacher creating the most amazing Talmud? No. This, this teacher is creating a Talmud that respects him, but the teacher is not helping the student. So the deep idea is that din, limitation of infinite potential, is also chesed, because if you have just uncontrolled uh, potential or uncontrolled outflow, it could be very destructive. 
But when you have din and limitation in the right way, in that tiferes, in that harmonious, beautiful, balancing way, then you have the ultimate chesed, which is the appropriate chesed. So that's why the, the Torah refers to chesed as orias. When the Torah refers to the relationship between a brother and sister as being orias, it says, ki chesed hu. And the Rambam and the Ibn Ezra, both the chesed represents this uncontrolled outflow, this inappropriate given. Because this form of chesed, the relationship between brother and sister, is when you have this outflow in the wrong way. You're giving in the wrong place. It's uncontrolled giving. Contro- that's why chesed is not inherently good or inherently bad. It represents an idea. And it can be used for the good or for the bad. Just like the idea we explained a couple days ago, which is that everything represents potential. It can be used for the good or for the bad. Electricity can be used to electrocute someone or it can be used to light up a house. Money, you can use it for terrible things. You can use it to create destruction or you can use it to support Torah, to build foundations, to do amazing things. And that's a very important idea that all, for example, the physical world, you can use it for the good or you can use it for the bad. Tashmashamita, the relationship between man and wife, the Ramban explains it can be used as the paradigm for the relationship between Klai Yisrael and Klai Baruch Hu. Of course, as most people know, it can also be corrupted and used in the most terrible of ways. Bris Mila, we uplift that organ because everything can be used appropriately for amazing things, but if you corrupt it, you can use that same thing for terrible things. Food, you can use food as an end in itself, or you can use it as a means to help you live your life and serve a Baruch Hu. Sleep, you can use it to energize yourself so that tomorrow you're full of strength, or you can just use sleep as an end in itself. That's an amazing idea that potential is just something which can be used for the good or the bad. So now let's delve into this third stage of Tiferes. What is Tiferes? We explained Tiferes is this perfect balance and harmony between Chesed, on the one hand, this extreme of potential and outflow and boundless endlessness, and Din, which is limitation, constriction, giving something boundaries. Now, Tiferes represents that perfect balance, so not too much rain, not too little rain. But the deep idea of Tiferes is a harmony between opposites. So for example, and we're gonna, it's important to understand, Tiferes is also connected Rachamim. That Tiferes and Rachamim represents this balance. So the root of Tiferes, the Shorish of Tiferes, is Pe'er. Pe'er means beauty. So what's the connection between Tiferes and Pe'er? What's the connection between Tiferes and beauty? Beauty is the balance and harmony of opposites. If you take a canvas and you just draw a lot of green or paint a lot of green on the canvas, it's not beautiful, it's just a lot of green. If you just take blue and paint a lot more blue, you don't get something beautiful. Beauty is a contrast of opposites melting into a whole. So it's when you have different colors that contrast and perfectly bounce off of each other, melt into each other, and build a constructive whole. So if you look at a beautiful scene, let's say a sunset on the beach, what's beautiful about that? It's the contrast of the sun setting and the ocean and the sun reflecting off the ocean, the sand on the beach and the sky, and it's all these different pieces melting into a whole. That's what beauty is. It's something which transcends the pieces. It's when the pieces melt into a whole. And it's that harmony, it's that perfect balance which creates beauty. 
So music, what's the beauty of music? All music is a bunch of clinks and a clunks. It's a bunch of notes played, you know, clink and a clunk and a clink and a clunk. But it's when all the different pieces of music, all the different notes come together in the right way, the contrast is what creates that harmony, that beauty. And just like in painting, you can have a contrast by layering one color on top of another or having different colors in different places melting into a whole. Same thing with music. You can have chords, which are multiple notes being played at the same time layered upon each other. And you can have the, the rhythm and, the, and all the different notes playing in the right sequence when they melt into a certain pattern, and that creates the harmony of music. So beauty and mu music is a form of beauty. So you can have beauty with sight, and you can have beauty with sound. Now it's interesting, we don't have time to develop this now, but the depth of beauty is most potent with, the, with eyes seeing and with ears hearing. But when it comes to smelling and taste, it's not as beautiful as much as it's pleasurable. So the higher senses, the eyes and the ears, you get a sense of beauty. But the lower senses, the nose and the mouth, you get a certain sense of pleasure. So when you smell something that really has a very nice smell, you don't say it's a beautiful smell, you say it's a pleasurable smell. And when you taste something that's delicious, you don't say that's a beautiful taste, you say that's delicious. Now, it's a form of beauty, but the more physical you get, the more you get into a sense of pleasure. The more abstract you get, the more you get into a sense of beauty. Now, the next stage, what's this? It's, this is beautiful. Pe'er is the same with Teferis. Rofe is also the same letters, the same Shoresh as Pe'er, as Teferis. And what does a doctor do? A doctor creates harmony between all the different opposite forces in your body. So when you go to a doctor, when you have some lack of homeostasis, when you have a lack of harmony, and a doctor recreates that harmony within your body. So Rofe creates Tiferes. But a beautiful analogy to Tiferes is MS. What is MS? MS is when seemingly contradictory ideas melt into a oneness. So for example, let's say you come over to me and I tell you the library is closed today. And then you come over to me and I tell you the library is open today. <laughs> what do you mean? What's going on? Contradiction. What do you do? But then I tell you the library is closed in the morning but open in the afternoon. <sighs> All of a sudden the contradiction melts into a beautiful MS. It's when the Tiferes, the third step, is that which creates clarity, creates MS. And that's why, for example, let's say a kid comes over, let's say you're a parent, and your kid comes over to you and says, Shlaimi kicked me! So you go over to Shlaimi and you say, why'd you kick my son? And he says, are you kidding me, mister? Your son punched me in the face. So you go back over to your son and you say, how can you tell me Shlaimi kicked you? You punched him in the face. So then your son says, yeah, I punched him in the face because he tripped me and pushed me down the stairs. So who's telling the truth? Who's lying? The answer is that they're all telling the truth, but they're all telling you pieces of the truth. The whole truth is all the different pieces of truth melted into a oneness. And that's Tiferes, is that which creates from all the different opposing pieces of truth, the whole truth. It's when there are opposites that melt into oneness, that creation of harmony is Tiferes. That's the deep idea of Elu Elu Divayelikim Chaim. Not that there's a lot of nice ideas, but that all the different perspectives are pieces of the truth, 
and they melt into a larger truth, which is Teferis. That's MS. Another beautiful example of Teferis is Shalom. The simple understanding of Shalom is when two people are just, you stand here, I stand here. You just don't fight with me, and I won't fight with you. They just don't, they don't intervene into each other's area. But the deeper idea of Shalom is when there are seemingly opposite forces that don't just coexist, but they harmonize. When you'd think there would be Muhammad and now there's Shalom, it's not just that there isn't Muhammad, it's something more. It's when opposite forces melt into a certain harmony. And that's why Shalom is also seen as Shalem, complete. Because completeness, this harmony, is not just the fact that there are different pieces that aren't in conflict, but that there's something that creates a certain wholeness from the opposing forces. And that's why Pinchas, when he killed Zimri, was an act of Shalom. Oh, it was an act of Melchami, he was killing. Granted, he was killing, but he was creating a harmony within Kleinisrael. And even though one of the reasons he got, a, he got a bracha of Shalom was because he did an act of, of violence and he needed a, a bracha of Shalom because you're, even though the act of violence was definitely a, a correct act, an act of violence still is metam tem it still has bad effects on you. But a deeper understanding of why he got a bracha of Shalom is because it, he created Shalom and Klai Yisrael. He did an act of Shalom. That's also why he got the bracha of Kahuna, because the Kohen's job is to create harmony between Hashem and Klai Yisrael. It's to connect Hashem to Klai Yisrael. The Maharal explains that the Kohen's job is to create a connection between the higher world, between the spiritual world, and between Hashem and Klai Yisrael. In the Beis HaMikdash, which is the makom of connection between Hashem and Klai Yisrael. So that's the deep idea of Shalom. Marriage is also this deep idea of Teferis. Because marriage is when two opposites, male and female, Zohar and Akeva, melt into this oneness. Remember, we've been establishing that male and female, these opposites, potential and actual, are opposites. When man marries woman, you're having two opposites which melt into a oneness. Adam and Chava were originally one, and they were broken apart in order to recreate that oneness. That's when male and female become one. And what's the result of male and female becoming one? What's the result? A child. A child is half of a male genetic code, half of a female genetic code. It's the result of male and female, two opposites, melting into a oneness. That is, what a, that is the essence of a child. Obviously, there's a certain shared self that a male and female build when they get married. But the expression of that oneness is an actual combination of themselves. That's a child. And where does the meeting place of male and female take place? In the rechem, in the womb. Rachamim. Rachamim is teferis. Rachamim is that harmony. Rechem is the place where male meets female. It's the place where teferis take place. That's the beauty of teferis. Now the most difficult job in the world is the Ability to perfect Tiferes. Because Tiferes represents the beautiful, perfect balance of opposites. But it's so difficult to create that perfect balance. So for example, if you've ever had candy, you know that if you have too much, you get really just, you feel gross. You, get, you feel disgusting. 
And if you have too little, you might want more. But the real difficult job is to find the balance and what's the hard part. Usually, when you start feeling gross, it's because you should have stopped five minutes ago. Because the effects don't take effect right away. You have to know, you have to foresee the effects of your actions and know exactly how to create that balance. Parenting, how do you figure out the perfect balance of when to say no to your child and how to say no? It's really difficult. Teaching, how do you know how much to teach? How do you know if you're teaching too much or too high of a level or too complex or the material is too complicated? Or how do you know if it's too easy and you're not doing enough and you're not challenging your students enough? It's really hard to find that perfect balance. What about kavod? What about for the relationship you have for your Rebbe? On the one hand, you love your Rebbe. You want to be so close to him. You want to have a close relationship with him. You want to... But on the other hand, you have this covenant, this yura. Your Rebbe is not your friend. Your Rebbe is this extraordinary personality. He's the source of your wisdom and your chachma. And you have this respect where you know there has to be a certain distance. And how do you find the balance between that, that closeness and that love and that harmony? That's teferis. That's building that harmony. It's knowing when to stop eating. It's knowing when to say no to your child. It's knowing how much to teach. It's knowing how to build that perfect balance between you and Hashem, between you and your Rebbe. And the reason I said you and Hashem and you and your Rebbe is because that same concept of year and Alva is also for Hashem. You have to feel so close and feel the love for a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Yet at the same time, you have to have year, you have to have awe. You have to be overwhelmed with the awesomeness of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and take a step back sometimes and say, whoa. Otherwise, you can break down the barriers and lose the real sensitivity that you should have for a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So that is the beautiful idea of chesed, din, and teferis. So now, what I want to establish is the concept of ikr and tafel. Of how the ikr is chesed, the ikr is outflow, the ikr is what you're giving, the ikr is the building, and din is that which enables the chesed. It's that which gives structure to the chesed. And this idea is beautifully expressed with the concepts of mitzvahs asay and mitzvahs los asay. What would be the ikram? What would be the tafel? What would be the most fundamental element? What would be the secondary element? So Ramban explains so beautifully that mitzvahs asay are the ikram. The ikram of life is mitzvahs asay. Mitzvahs los asay are tafel. Now what does that mean? Mitzvahs asay are building yourself. They're building the world. They're building your relationship with Hashem. That's the most important. Mitzvahs los asay are protecting what you're building. So for example, the goal of life is not to say, Woo! I'm not a murderer! I mean, shkoyach. You know, listen, some people have a difficult time with that. The Gemara says some people have a natural tendency for blood. Obviously, you can use that tendency for good things, like to be a moel, or to be a shochet, or you can be a surgeon. Obviously, those are levels of doing mitzvahs versus doing something parv. Um, but if you use it appropriately, you can be a murderer. David and Esau had the same tendency for blood. Uh, they were both bloodthirsty, but David used it uh, for Melchamas Hashem, and Esau used it for Etzicha. So, there's no question that not doing bad things is good. But the goal of life is not to withhold from doing bad, you don't want to say, Baruch Hashem, I never did anything bad with my life. You want to accomplish. You want to build. You want to grow. The key to life is mitzvahs asay. Mitzvahs los asay are that which create a gidarim, that which create, so to speak, a, a protective force 
for what you're building with the mitzvah slosase. So for example, if you're building a factory, the main goal is to produce goods. You're building the factory because you want to create an outflow, you want to produce something. You might also build a fence, maybe an electric fence, you might also hire guards, but the reason you build a factory is not so you can build a fence and hire guards. The reason is because you want to produce things. The only reason you're going to have a fence and hire guards is to protect that which you're building. In a marriage, the purpose of the marriage is to build the relationship. You don't come home and say, Honey, Baruch Hashem, I wasn't unfaithful today. Shkoyach. I mean, the reason we want you to be faithful is not because that's building the relationship. The fact that you're not unfaithful is what's protecting the relationship. But the building and giving yourself completely, that's the building. So, the, for example, in life, you don't want to say that I, I didn't do bad. You want to be building yourself. You want to be building your relationship with Hashem. You want to be building your mind. You want to be building your relationships. You want to be building your mitos. You want to be developing yourself. So, for example, that's why there are 248 mitos asay, which is connected to the 248 limbs of the physical body. Because that's you. That's the, the, the human being himself. That's the point of life. The 365 mitzvahs say are connected to the 365 sinews. What are the sinews? Not the main parts. The main parts are the limbs. The sinews are that which create a framework, a fabric for the human body. And that's why the Gemara also compares the 365 mitzvahs say to the 365 days of the year. Why? Because time is the framework for building. Time itself isn't the accomplishment, it's the framework, it's the place in which you can build yourself. Keeping the mitzvahs losase, meaning not violating Averos, just creates the framework in which you can build yourself. If you're killing people, it's impossible to really grow, you're destroying yourself. But if you're maintaining the structure, maintaining the framework, then you can build within that framework. And that's the deep idea, which is why mitzvahs ase of the ikr and mitzvahs losase are secondary. There's no question mitzvahs losase are fundamental, but what's the ikr? The ikr and mitzvahs losase. So now we can try to understand the concept of ase docha losase. Mitzvah ha-ba-ba-vera is when I, let's say, I steal a lulav, that lulav becomes an asr lulav. So I can't use it for a mitzvah. If I steal an animal, that becomes an asr animal. I can't use that for a karban. So what changes when the same act itself is both an ase and a losase? If I'm cutting off the orla, I'm doing a bris milah, I'm cutting off tzeras, the same act is cutting off tzeras, the same act is a bris milah. Or if I'm putting on tzitzis and I'm wearing shatnis or I'm wearing kilayim, the same act is a mitzvah and a losase. So what's the status there? In that case, we say it works. You get the mitzvah. Why? So there's a couple different possibilities. One possibility is that the mitzvah ase is so powerful, it knocks out the losase. And all we have is, a, is an ase. Another option is that, listen, the ase doesn't knock out the los ase. You have an ase and a los ase. But since an ase is so much more fundamental, at the end of the day, it's better to do an ase and a los ase. So, for example, let's say an ase is 10 points and a los ase is 5 points. So, in the case of a mitzvah ha you already got the negative 5 for the los ase. Now, this becomes an evil object. You can't use it for a plus 10 with the mitzvah. But if the same act is a 10 and a negative 5, 
then the outcome of that single act is a plus five. And therefore we define this as a positive act. And therefore you can do it. I tried to simplify that very much. There's obviously a lot more. But that would be the idea that at the end of the day, even though you have both an Avera and a mitzvah, the mitzvah is better. But there's a much deeper idea. Which is that we can define this as a positive act. Because if we think that the whole point of life is mitzvah's assay to build yourself, to build your relationship with Hashem, to build the spiritual world, and then we think mitzvah's los assay are to build a framework to protect everything you're building, then if the same act is an assay and a los assay, then since the whole reason you're doing this act is to build yourself, to build your relationship with Hashem, we can define this as a positive act. Meaning, why are you putting on the tzitzis? Because you want to wear kilayim? No, because you want to wear tzitzis. Why are you doing the bris milah? Because you want to cut off tzaras? No, you want to do the mitzvah of milah. Since the intention is to do something positive, then we can define this as one act of goodness, one act of assay, one act of building something. You have the same theme when it comes to sugyus of Kim Lamidirabimine and Hamapelis or Shmon of Echad, how it can either be knocking out the secondary thing, how we can just ignore the secondary thing. Yeah, granted, you're, there's two things, but we're only focusing on the more important one. Or we can define it as a single thing. We can define it. So Kim Lamidirabimine, we're not going to go into now, but you can define it as a single act. You can define the act in one way. And that's the deep idea that the whole point of life is to be building assays, and the los assays are to create the framework. But there's a very important question. Why would it be that the punishment, the onesh for los assays, are so much more severe than the punishment for assays? For example, you can be high of misa for violating a los assay, and you're never high of misa for violating an assay. If we think the most fundamental concept is the assay, and los assays aren't as fundamental, or aren't as important, then why would we say that the onesh is so much more severe for mitzvah's los assay? So the beautiful idea is as follows. It's so much worse to break and ruin something than to simply not build. So for example, in a relationship, Let's say you buy your wife flowers every week. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. Build such an amazing relationship. Buy your wife flowers every single Friday afternoon. And let's say one week you don't buy your wife flowers. Is that so terrible? Listen, it's, it's not good. But is it the same thing as if you were unfaithful to your wife? No, because being unfaithful is breaking and destroying the relationship. But not doing something positive is simply the lack of building, the lack of doing something nice. So the lack of a mitzvah assay is not nearly as bad as violating a los assay. Because violating a los assay destroys you, destroys your relationship with Hashem. Not doing an assay is of course not good. Being mevatel an assay is terrible. But it's just the lack of building something, and it can't be compared to violating and destroying a relationship with Hashem, which is what you do when you violate a losase. <clears throat> so in today's shir, we discuss the ideas of chesed, din, and teferis. How chesed represents that first stage of outflow. Din represents limiting that infinite potential in order to make it real. And teferis represents that perfect harmony. So next year, we'll continue this theme and we'll discuss why din is so ideal, why originally Kadesh Baruch Hu wanted to create the world with din, and what it means that he created the world with Minas HaRachamim. And finally, we'll also understand why Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are the perfect parallels of Chesed, Din, and Tiferes.